Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Inroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got a great show for you today. We are going to be talking with Brody Dunn and Timo Wayman all about bee hotels, pollinator hotels, insect hotels. I don't know. I'm going to be surrounded by bug people today. And you know, I'm not doing this by myself. I am joined, as always, every single week by horticulture educator Ken Johnson in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello, Chris. It's going to be a good day. We're talking bugs. I know you're excited. You love this stuff. You have you have chipped away at my my exterior to to insects, trying to keep them out of my home, out of my garden, all of that stuff. And now to my wife's chagrin, like like there's an insect that crawls across our dining room table and she's like, do something. I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And she's yeah. So, yeah, you, you've ruined me, Ken. Thank you for all these years of, of bug talk. Remember, if you're cold, they're cold. Bring them inside. (laughs) (laughs) That does not count when there's brown marmorated stink bug crawling all over my kitchen. So those guys get flicked back outside. Well, we'll give you a pass on that one. Yeah, thank you. They're not supposed to be here. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, you know, with that, Ken, there's uh, we're going to be talking about bee hotels today. Uh, Curious, have, have you ever... Put up a bee hotel in your yard. Uh, I have one. I have not put it up yet. Um, just one of those things. I think about it and then never do it. So maybe this year will be the year. I'm I'm I in the same boat. Yeah, I, I'm same way. I actually we got a, a bee hotel for Christmas a few years ago. I'm like, this is so pretty. I don't want to put it outside. So it's uh, yeah, I, I really like it. Actually, oh. I, it's not necessarily a bee hotel. It's just like a, oh, there's the blur it's going. It's like an insect overwintering thing that you're supposed to put all these things in here and just set it outside and let them overwinter in it. And I guess for people listening, I'm holding like a, a little wooden box with some pine cones, some moss, and some some reeds, like little sticks all chopped up. So, but again, I like it so much. I don't want to put it outside. I don't want to share with the bugs. All right, guys. So the one, one I've got is... It's got the wood nesting box that are all you can open up and take apart and stuff. So mm-hmm. maybe this this podcast will be the impetus to get me to actually put it out next year. Well, I, I think so. But we're going to talk about is it does it work or doesn't it? So I think we need to introduce our special guests for today. So we are joined um, by two, I mean, very legitimate looking podcasters right now. Um, it's like you guys do this all the time. Brody Dunn, Timo Wayman, thank you very much for joining us today to talk about bee hotels. And we have to address the elephant in the room. <laughs> you guys look like you do podcasting for a living. Where are you right now? Yeah, so we're we're in the uh, University of Illinois main library. You know, we had planned on just using my little bird recorder to do this, but this morning I opened up my bird recorder and the the battery pack was entirely full, entirely full of corrosion. So we didn't end up using that. Made an emergency uh, little booking in this place, and so now uh, you know we look like we act, we're, we're the hosts here. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, it's very nice. Yeah, you're in like a a very nice podcast recording studio. You have all of the the sound absorbing uh, material all around you. You have uh, your you have your pop filters on your mics. Um, that yeah, you guys look. There's great. all sorts of so all sorts of doodads in here that you can't even see. <laughs> yeah, like you're in the Millennium Falcon right now. You know, there's all these oh, buttons yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're gonna go into hyperdrive any second. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, I, I guess uh, before we, we dive into the questions, uh, Brody, uh, you've been on the show uh, before, um, but uh, Timo, you brand new. Could you just give us a little bit about your background and why why insects? Why bugs? Why? <laughs> well, I guess I've been interested in insects since I was very little. Uh, I remember one of my first, like, furthest back memories that I have was um, my sister got stung by a yellow jacket uh, at the playground when I was in like pre-K. And then I just went under the playground and was looking up at the little like paper wasp or whatever yellow jacket nest and just watching them like walking around on it. And my parents are always uh, good about whenever I expressed any sort of interest, they would always like get me all sorts of books on a topic. So they got me like insect identification guides. And so it's like, I, for as long as I remember, I've always been interested in insects and specifically um, use social, like, like Hymenoptera, ants, bees, wasps have always been uh, a big interest of mine. And yeah, it was something that I kind of wandered away from. And I went into undergrad having no idea what I wanted to do. And then when it came time to like try to find a lab to volunteer at uh, to get some research experience before applying to grad school, it was during the pandemic. So the only lab that I was able to join was a lab studying native bees um, because I was able to just like get loaned a net and some like little binoculars and vials and uh, microscope. And I was able to just do all that from home. So and when I did it, I was like, oh, I love bees and I've always loved bees and it like kind of brought back a a childhood like a childlike wonder um That's awesome so, so is that T-Mart. is that where your, your research interests intersected with Brody in the native bee study yeah absolutely I, I would say so uh, that's definitely how we met is through uh, talking about native bees but Timo I, I absolutely love the fact that you're the the origin of your love of insects has like this little tinge of sibling rivalry. Uh, I love that. That's a, that's a great origin story. Yeah, I guess it's like with insects, it it did start with me with morbid fascination of like fear of like, I'm scared that this thing's going to sting me. And then I feel like anything that you learn a lot about, it's hard to not fall in love with, I'd say. Well, I, I this brings up a lot of questions. And so you had mentioned the idea of social uh insects we also got some solitary bees out there but i mean mm-hmm. before we before we unwrap this present here i think we need to uh, kick off our line of questions and so ken would you mind getting us started please all right so <clears throat> we have some people listening or may not be familiar with with bee hotels so i guess what are bee hotels and what's the point of them how do they help you know why why would why would we be putting out bee hotels in the first place yeah, so a, a bee hotel uh, is, you know, usually it's this little box and it's either got holes drilled through it, uh, like roughly quarter inch holes uh, drilled through it, or sometimes it's um, like kind of a box full of reeds. And inside of these cavities, whether it's a drilled cavity or, uh, you know, the remnant from a pithy stem, um, uh, bee, uh, native bees uh, will nest. So, uh, Timo, you want to tell us more about why native bees are using these? Yeah, I mean, so there are a, a pretty large group of uh, native bees that are cavity nesters in the wild that would be 
living in often whole, like pre-existing holes drilled by beetles in rotting wood is where like those tunnels is where they would be building their nests. And so bee hotels are supposed to sort of replicate and make more habitat for those. And specifically, like if you want those kinds of bees in your garden or on a farm, having a bee hotel where these like cavity, cavity nesting bees can move uh, into will make bee, like those bees have be living at, around there in your garden. Um, so it's, it initially came out of the idea of being able to study how these bees nested um, and to study like what the populations of these were. And then people kind of started using it as a like conservation tool to try to like make habitat for them. Because um, theoretically, like, you know, in the woods and out in nature, uh, trees will drop limbs and these limbs will be inhabited by uh, these beetles who have, you know, drilled into it and they're, make, they're making their way in their own life. But in, uh, in urban areas and in, in human dominated environments, anytime a tree dies, uh, we take the tree away, right? And so there's theoretically, right, the, these bee hotels are providing a space for those bees that doesn't really exist very often in, in this human dominated environment that we've created. Yep, very true. And like, you know, fall arrives, all the perennials, annuals die. What is our first inclination? Well, at least some of us wipe everything away, get rid of all those dead stems and, and clean slate for the wintertime and be ready for spring. Um, but a lot of the, the like the reeds and the grasses and things that you described that can be in a bee hotel. Well, that's that debris that we cleared out of there. So this is providing an, an alternative to that. Very mm -hmm. good. Exactly. Yeah, and so a big thing too is that in general, um, native bees are in decline right now. And a big part of that is they are losing that habitat. So in theory, these are supposed to be providing habitat for more types of bees to still have a place to be living in a landscape that has been so deforested and is so uh, anthropogenically changed. Yeah, and, and all those... And all the research papers I've read about um, scientists looking at pollinator decline, specific species, or kind of broadly speaking, um, you know, some of them will point to pesticides, some of them will point to disease, some will point to uh, kind of the commercialized beekeeping industry. But every single paper, it seems like in every single conclusion I read, habitat loss is still the number one driver for the loss of native pollinators. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'm seeing lots of head shaking here and nodding. So yeah, I'm it, guessing no, I'm on to something. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I sometimes I, I already forgot we're on a podcast, right? So yeah, absolutely. Audio medium. Yeah, audio yeah. medium. Um, but yeah, I mean, exactly. The habitat, you know, we thinking we think a lot about climate change and all these other things and you know the comp competition from honeybees, but if they had the habitat, right? If these native bees had habitat, all those other things would still be concerns, but their the concerns would be way less. All right. So I guess my next question about bee hotels then, um, this kind of goes in the vein of uh, Peggy Doty. She's an educator at the Extension up north. And one thing that I just carries around in my brain is when she says, you know, the plants we put out, the, the bird feeders we put, all that stuff we put out, we put out this buffet of stuff, but we don't get to choose who uses it. 
Mm-hmm. So we put a B hotel out. Is anybody else using this besides the bees? Is there any other inhabitants that would be in these B hotels? So often, I mean, it really depends on the location and factors that we don't always necessarily know. But often B hotels are a majority uh, uh, inhabited by wasps. And I guess in a similar way to how the bees that are living in bee hotels are are solitary bees, um, these are often solitary wasps. And I think that freaks people out. Um, or it's like, how can we keep wasps from nesting in my bee hotel? I only want bees. Be, like these wasps, since they're solitary and they aren't trying to protect a nest, they're not out trying to sting you. And also they can often provide benefits of like they're these wasps are carnivores. So they will often be eating things that might be pests in your garden. So yeah, often there are wasps that are living in bee hotels too, but that's a good thing. And this is one of the things that Timo's project is kind of looking into is, is like what exactly is in this? Mm-hmm. Because there are these wasps, right, that are inhabiting these um these bee hotels, but there's also in these wasps, as Timo mentions, are definitely beneficial, Mm -hmm. but there could be these other things in them that aren't beneficial and we don't totally understand them. So Timo, do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, on top of the inhabitants that are like bees and wasps that are just the native uh, species that would be living in cavities in the wild, There's also concern um, because there are natural enemies of bees and wasps, like cuckoo bees uh, or cuckoo wasps are um, bees and wasps that instead of laying their eggs in their own nest, will lay their eggs in the nest of another bee or wasp and when like have their uh, their baby eat the food provisioned by the host. Mm -hmm. And that's a strategy called kleptoparasitism or parasitism by stealing. Um, it's kind of the same idea as a cuckoo bird. Um, yep. so, or, or cowbird, I think, is another one I've, yeah. I, I've been mm-hmm. familiar yeah, with like, in my neck of the woods. Yeah, a brown-headed cowbird, yeah. A concern with bee hotels, one of them is that maybe in the wild aggregations of bee nests, of like these cavity nesting bees, would not necessarily be super close to each other. where a bee hotel often has just a ton of cavities all like an inch or less apart where it would be very easy for something like a cuckoo wasp or a cuckoo bee to just come in and parasitize every nest if it wanted to. Um, And in a similar vein, there are diseases of these cavity nesting bees like chalkbird that it's really easy for spores to just get into all of them because they're so close together. So there's definitely a concern of how these can host, um, can make it like, because in nature, obviously it's good to have a natural level of parasites if a population is healthy. Um, It's a part of, it's just part of the way of things. But there is concern that bee hotels could be a trap for like our native bees and native wasps are coming in and 
making nests in this what seems like a good spot. Right. It's like a it's like a one stop shop theoretically, uh-huh. right? So we don't. That this is something that we're afraid of, mm-hmm. right? That this could be happening. Um, and then this is this relates directly to Timo's project because that's what they're they're trying to look into. What is in these hotels other than the intended occupants, mm-hmm. right? It's like, are there invasive because of this unnatural density? Mm-hmm. Because of this unnatural density, uh, are there uh, going to be more parasites? Are there going to be more diseases? Um, are they going to be more invasive species, which believe it or not, there I did not realize this actually until relatively recently, which is very embarrassing, but there are kind of uh, invasive bees, right? Can, can you tell us about the invasive bee that's out there? Um, I mean, there's set, like, um, I guess it's technically it's not invasive, right? So we have to be careful. I think it's like an aggressive and non-native bee. Yeah. Right? I mean, we have introduced bees like uh megachile sculpturalis which um they can be problematic i've seen studies where when one of these bees is present in a bee hotel the likelihood that native bees would also be in the bee hotel dropped off precipitously the the big problem with bee hotels right now is that there's so few data points so that was one study in france and we don't have other data (laughs) Um, so it's like, do we, is that going on here in our B hotels in Illinois? We don't know, but there is precedent for these B hotels. If there's invasive bees, um, them being out competing native bees in this study or in other studies with introduced bees, it's been found that, uh, our native bees had higher, um, parasitism, like mortality. Uh, than the uh, introduced bees in the same hotels. And invasive bees, I guess it might seem like, what's the problem? (laughs) Uh, But invasive bees, I guess in the same way as our native bees are important because they're very tied in to our um, ecosystems at the base level of our uh, bees and our plants co-evolved for uh, thousands and thousands of years. So they are native bees are really adapted to uh, pollinating our native plants really well. Invasive bees are really good at pollinating invasive plants. So yeah, if not native plants, yeah, non-native plants. So we there is concern with if we're losing all our bee diversity, that also is directly translating to our losing plant diversity. It's like those it's a, a feedback loop. Um, and I, I have to cut in here to emphasize something that Timo said just a minute ago, which is how few data points we have, just how little science has been done. Because I started talking to Timo about this project about, a, I guess, probably a month ago. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, can you please send me uh, just, you know, a, a, a selection of the science, right? And they sent me, I don't know, probably five or six papers. <laughs> and those are the five or six papers, right? That those are the ones, you know? And so it was a, it was a quick read, but it's really unfortunate uh, because there's so much interest in bee hotels, you know, like uh, Ken said, you, you have, you've got one that you're waiting to put up, right? People are really interested in these things and they mm-hmm. want to know, like, am I doing, having a positive conservation impact? Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> they ask extension units and not just Illinois extension, but like a lot of other extension places 
and they don't know because there's so little science, right? Mm -hmm. So hopefully Timo's project can help address this, this dearth of information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting with these, like, there are, I feel like there's so much concern. And I feel like when you're reviewing, uh, like, what's out there, I feel like I've read so many articles that are like, there are these concerns with bee hotels. Could they be a place where parasites are living? Could be they be spreading disease? Maybe buy a bee hotel here. Or... <laughs> 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 I still I feel like um there's not there's not enough information and not enough people are looking into it and with my project specifically I'm really curious about what's going on in these bee hotels and people's gardens um like the ones being uh set out by just people because all of the studies I've seen too are of curated like bee hotels that were all made the same are all like placed by scientists um like for specific stuff and it's like we don't necessarily know what's going on in just people's gardens um yeah, and, and if that's different yards uh -huh. right? you know the mm -hmm. ex exceptionally it's sorry guys we're, we're in the i think this podcast space has has gone to our heads we, <laughs> we've been talking over you guys for like I don't know, five, probably 10 minutes. So sorry about that. This is what this is for. Yes, we, we want you here to talk. So yeah, this is what, this is how it is supposed to be. Uh, right. But, you know, um, the these papers, all, you know, what Timo is saying is like, you know, there are these papers, but they are on these like aggressively controlled um, environments, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so every B hotel is exactly the same and they're all in like a, you know, I don't know, a, a five square miles so they can control for this and that. And of course, controls are like absolutely necessary to do like really good science um, in particular situations. But it does kind of bias some of your findings that you get towards not not a, a perfect census, right? Like you're not seeing the environment as it's actually used. And, and of course, a lot of places that, that's it's it's fine, right? But in this particular instance, I, Timo thinks that there's a, good chance that they're maybe missing something about the real world mm -hmm. because of those uh, controls that they put onto those experiments. Yeah. I mean, something that I clocked in reviewing the literature is that a lot of these papers um, where they're finding a ton of invasive species are ones that are done in cities. And I guess I kind of have a concern that as much as it's a noble goal to be trying to increase bee diversity in cities. I guess I have a concern that with these bee hotels, it's just creating, like it's just exacerbating the problem of mm. uh, making a breeding ground for these invasive bees instead of uh, having bee diversity in be increased in cities. So, there's several landscape factors and factors about the gardens um, that bee hotels are in that we just don't know how they affect what's in the bee hotels, but I suspect that they have a pretty big effect. And I think a big, a goal of my project is to kind of suss out, like, when are situations we should be using bee hotels? What are situations we shouldn't be using bee hotels? How can we 
like best place them best uh everything to um optimize them for conservation instead of having them be counterproductive um because it's like there's some information out there but it's so it's backed by so little data points yeah i mean pollinator conservation in cities is kind of having in urban areas specifically is kind of having a moment and that's because it really does genuinely seem like it, it could be possible right mm -hmm. like there are things that we could do maybe this is a conservation that we can do mm -hmm. uh in the in the urban environment so like we can't conserve for bears right mm -hmm. like we're not going to be able to conserve habitat for uh for black bears right we can't do that in the middle of a densely densified urban environment it's not going to happen Bears need too much uh, habitat and there's too many conflicts with people. But with bees, they're so small. And, you know, what are they eating? Well, they're not eating antelope or deer or whatever. They're eating, um, you know, pollen and nectar. And that's mm -hmm. something that we can theoretically provide. Yeah. And the, the sort of hiccup here is potentially that these bee hotels are potentially putting these uh, not necessarily the resources at risk, you know, putting the bees at risk through their what they're eating, but putting them at risk by where they're nesting. Because right? mm -hmm. these nests, as Timo was talking about, are dense, like way more dense than you would typically expect in you know actual nature. So maybe there are these negative things that can happen because of that that density of um, uh, of nesting sites, right? Or maybe it's because there's just a higher uh, uh, population of invasive insects in urban environments because mm -hmm. we know that's that's true right like that there are uh rel i think that's true isn't mm -hmm. it yeah. i've seen yeah can 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 you verify that there, there's a higher range of, of invasive insects in urban environments that's correct right that wouldn't surprise me i've seen i'm pretty sure i've seen papers that came to that conclusion yeah i think it, macgyver well we'll say that's a true fact so right now <laughs> We'll, we'll say that's supported fact. by the literature. Yeah, we'll, yes. we'll, if it's Asterisk. wrong, we'll put it in the show notes, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hold on there now. According to the Journal of Urban Ecology, it is difficult to make general statements about whether urban areas have a higher density of invasive insects. The density of invasive insects can vary depending upon the species of the insect, location, and all the environmental factors. The urban fabric is a diverse uh, interweaving of all different types of environments. Well, I hope you do not mind my intrusion. And now back to the show. I mean, and another thing with cities and the bees is uh, that cities are often have so many ornamental plants, and ornamental plants will encourage uh invasive bees and invasive insects um where i am curious how the different the different factors might be interacting where it's like could we have higher diversity of um of native bees in urban bee hotels if we had native plants around the bee hotel you just don't know right now so it's well, obviously, we've talked a lot about bee hotels. So how exactly do do bees or, or wasps utilize these hotels? And maybe we should call them pollinator hotels since wasps are pollinators, too. Maybe people will be more accepting of them. But, but how do they go about utilizing these? I mean, you know, you think about them, you know, they're building their nests and they're laying their eggs. How does mm -hmm. all how does all of that work? Mm -hmm. So it's like often in these tubes. um, you'll have a solitary uh, female bee or wasp. 
and she will lay eggs in little uh, chambers. And with each egg, if she's uh, a, a wasp, she'll put um, some meat, like either, like often wasps will put like a little spider or something for the larva to eat when it wakes up or when it, uh, whatever, when, when it, it hatches, when it hatches. <laughs> yeah. um, and I guess in that, um, bees are just herbivorous wasps. Um, instead, they evolved to put pollen in um, those nest chambers instead of um, instead of meat. And different species of um, bees and wasps will um, separate the chambers in different ways. Uh, like leafcutter bees will use like little pieces of leaves that they'll cut off with their big jaws. Um, mason bees will use mud. I think uh, grass carrying wasps will use like blades of grass. And these, uh, the separation of the chambers is supposed to help keep parasites out. Although now a lot of parasites have evolved. Like you'll have the sharp tail bee that can stab through um, those chambers but it's supposed to kind of have like a little sealed environments for each egg and its uh, provisions. So there's bees parasitizing other bees mm -hmm. or, or, or wasps parasitizing other wasps and bees. That's yeah. When I, when I learned about parasitic wasps, my, I, I'm so glad that I'm not an insect because <laughs> what they do sounds horrifying. Awesome. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very happy that I'm much larger than a lot than like all the wasps. Mm -hmm. it, it brings me a great deal of solace and yeah. great, great deal of comfort. Yes. So then, so then for these hotels, and maybe this is something you're going to look at with your research project, but is there kind of a recommendation as to where to put these if somebody was going to put them out? Or do we know that? Um, so there is some data, um, like you want it to be facing southeast, uh, getting the morning sun, which will be like less harsh than afternoon sun. But it's like you want it to be warm, but not too warm. And this recommendation is obviously for like northern hemisphere. Um, and you want it to be above the flower line, like above vegetation, so that it's easy to get it in and out of. And you want it somewhere secure so it doesn't fall over. Other than that, there are some evidence that placing it in different places can change what's in it. Um, but there's not, that's something that still data is needed on. To, yeah, we're, we're working with, we're still working with those five or six papers. Uh -huh. so there's just not mm -hmm. a lot out there, you know? And I, I, I've got to guess the vast majority of your, your guys' listeners have got to be in the Northern hemisphere. I'm guessing that, right? Is that true? We, we get a few hits from Australia every now and then. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. We're, yeah, that's where the bees uh, will, uh, that's where they do parasitize you. Yeah, in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, Timu, you described the process that the female constructs these, these chamber nesting areas throughout uh, the area she may have excavated or found a, a hollow stem. Um, mm -hmm. And I've seen carpenter bees in action on uh, my parents' uh, deck mm -hmm. and they really do create these different chambers, but how does they, how, how does the hatching then work? Who, 
how how does the guy in the back get out? He's got to go through all of the other chambers to get out. What? How does that um, work? So, I mean, they, I guess, basically, the as a female is laying her her eggs, she'll go um, from the inside out as she's building a chambers. The first eggs she's laying are the females, which are bigger and more costly uh, to develop than the males. So the females yeah, are laid in the back and the males are laid in the front. The males will um, finish developing first and leave first, and then the females will leave. And since the eggs are all pretty much being laid at the same time, they're all finishing development at the same time. So they're all like leaving the nest at the same time. And if there's uh, a bee that like, died or didn't finish developing they can get around it or push it out so but they kind of can go out uh since they're all kind of going out at the same time it just uh functions and they don't have to go back in so (laughs) it's just it's just a one-time thing (laughs) but that's still really neat that that control of females go first because they take a little bit longer and then stagger that out Yeah, you, you've you've chipped away another piece of my insect armor, uh, my exoskeleton. So very cool. I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's some, um, and this is not a bee that nests in a bee hotel, um, but there are some like the small carpenter bees. They'll even have, I think it's there's the females are like bigger females are laid first, and then there'll be a helper like smaller female and then the males and uh, where it's like, it'll rain, like the males will leave. And then they have like what they call a Cinderella um, daughter that will help the, the mom in getting the, the rest of them out and stuff. Um, or Cinderella. Very... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. This may be another one that there just may not be a whole lot of information on, but if someone, you know, after listening to this, we've convinced them that they should buy a bee hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what should people be looking for? And is this something they could make themselves? So, I mean, as far as making it yourself, it's easy to put like putting out like resources for bees. People will make bundles of twigs or pithy stems themselves, or they can like drill hole and drill little holes into blocks of dead wood. I think, and if you're buying a bee hotel, I generally say you want to buy a wooden one. But I mean, the whole thing with my project is I'm not sure that I'm recommending people buy bee hotels because um, yeah. <laughs> we just don't, we don't know if they're good or not. We don't know if they're helpful. It's just a thing that has been like widely taken up without a lot of data behind it. So I mean, hopefully after my project, I'll have a, a better answer. <laughs> Maybe I can come back on. <laughs> it depends. Mm-hmm. Well, so Brody, you are an extension specialist um, and working with Timo, again, trying to find that connection between Illinois Extension and the research that's that's going on with campus. So can you describe uh, your involvement in Timo's research? Well, Chris, I'm an outreach associate. Maybe no. specialist one day. No. <laughs> Maybe specialist, specialist in my day. mind. That's yes. yes. <laughs> I appreciate the vote of confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the reason why it, you know why Timo came to extension and why we're involved with this thing 
is because what Timo needs is real life examples of uh, B hotels, B hotels that have a history that people have actually been using, right? So what, what better way to find the folks that have these B hotels who are interested in native pollinator health than to come through extension and specifically come through uh, your guys's podcast. Um, so that's why I'm here, right? Uh, but so what we're hoping to do is to put together a little community science project where uh, we will work with master gardeners, master, nat master naturalists, and the public to try to find some of these bee hotels that are out there that I think it's at least two years old mm -hmm. is how old they're supposed to be. Uh, and then Timo will do their experiment on these uh, on these hotels. And Timo, if you would please, can you tell us about what exactly you're going to be doing to these bee hotels? Yeah, so we're going to be taking them back to the lab and uh, basically we're hoping to get them before um, the end of the winter because we want to take them back to the lab and basically see what emerges from them and see like what the species are, um, see like what disease, like if we're seeing evidence of disease, if we're seeing like uh, too many invasive species, disproportionate numbers of parasites, like what, how diverse are different bee hotels. And we also will have collected like location data and data about the gardens that the bee hotels were in. And hopefully we can draw some correlations between uh, parasite load and in, like number of invasive species and like what is in the bee hotels. So have some have some more data on how uh, those things can be related. And, and Timo and I have talked about this. And one of the things is, of course, that this this is going to be a destructive experiment, correct? Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, if you donate the bee hotel, you're donating it to science, mm -hmm. right? It's it's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. So like, what can we offer to folks who might uh who might be willing to donate their bee hotel. Well, what we can offer is Timo is going to keep track of these bee hotels and who donates them. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they will do is they will find out what, what's coming out of your bee hotel. What's in it? Are there diseases? Are there invasive species? Or are the, the 20 most beautiful bees coming out of it in quick succession, right? Timo will keep track of that. And then you'll get a personalized report for what was in your bee hotel at the end of the experiment. Now, it might be the case that there's nothing in the B hotel, right? So theoretically, the report could, could be thanks, right? And, and a picture of Timo's smiling face. But more than likely, these B hotels are going to have something in them, right? Mm -hmm. And so you, you'll be able to find out what was in them. And um, you'll you'll also be the first to know about whatever, uh, whatever recommendations we're going to have after this experiment of um, what we learned in general. Right. And, that, and that's like selfishly like that. There's like, I would love to say like Timo's not here T Timo, uh, well, you know, we're, we're doing it just for, for the goodness of science. Right. But that's not true. Right. Uh, we're also doing it because extension is really interested in what these results might be. Right. Like, can we use these, this experiment to expand our knowledge and give some recommendations to the folks that we serve here in Illinois to uh, about whether or not they should be putting these bee hotels out there and if they should be where they might be needing to put them. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's like pollinator conservation programs where they like send you a sign to put in your yard if you have a bee hotel. 
you know, so people call us and ask us, where can I find a bee hotel? Is it a good idea to use this? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't see any bees coming out of it. I only have wasps or spiders, you know, so what, yeah, what do we, uh, and so, yeah, we do get a lot of questions about just the bee hotel, uh, Mm -hmm. practicality. Yeah. Hopefully we can find an answer. Uh Uh, Timo will be able to give us the answer then. Yeah. I mean, that was my kind of the impetus of this whole project was I was working, um, doing outreach, uh, stuff in upstate New York. And I was often, people would ask me about like, are these B hotels? I put out a B hotel or B hotels good. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) It's like all of the, all of the papers I'm seeing are completely contradictory. Uh, Like some are like, we've had all this great diversity and some are like, it's horrible. And it's, it's hard to know what to say. So it's like, that's kind of what inspired me as like people to find a better, at least have a little bit of a clearer answer. Um, and I do want to emphasize to the folks at home that like, don't go outside uh, and rip down your B hotel, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 the message that we're trying to send right now is not that B hotels are bad. Mm-hmm. We don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what Timo's hoping to solve right now. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. We don't have enough data. Mm-hmm. Wait and see. <laughs> the world waits, uh, put Timo's email address in the show notes and you will be inundated with so many people asking B hotel questions. Um, but I guess if they have B hotels to donate to the cause, that's, that's a good idea. I, I do have one question and if it's a ridiculous question, you welcome to say, this is a ridiculous question. How do you uh-huh. test for diseases? Is this a, do you mash them all up and throw them in like a analyzer um do you have a tricorder like in star trek that just uh, does the bee sit down and say i don't feel so good so what how do you figure <laughs> out if a bee has a disease well i mean this is i'd say something that i will probably be figuring out as i do the experiment <laughs> um i have the vague idea that I mean, you'll know something's wrong if it comes out deformed or if it the larva just dies, um, mm-hmm. like it doesn't emerge. You'll know something's wrong. Um, and I mean, to figure out specifically, it'll have to depend. But you might I'm thinking there's going to be DNA analysis involved of like if we're having fungal diseases or I don't know. <laughs> that's that's kind of a bridge I'll cross when I get to it. I think that isn't something that I've thought that far ahead about. <laughs> you know, having gotcha. just emerged from graduate school, I I can say that folks <laughs> think that there's a, like way more of a plan than there really is. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes you you're you're going by the seat of your pants, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. you're you're figuring it out as you as you go along, and you're learning what you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you find out that that's what you need to know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But a good sign that there's there's been a problem or a disease of some kind is that the the bee is no longer a bee, right? <laughs> that you right. you open it up and there's no bee inside, or there was a bee inside, right? Um, so that that's definitely a place to start. Okay, that, and I was kind of uh, asking based upon previous conversation, Brody. I I looped you into that email uh, chain of kind of a debate of. Uh, property owners wanting to use honeybee hives in a native prairie 
talked about the possibility of disease spread. And they asked me, well, how do you figure out if there's a sick native bee? Because I said, well, I guess monitor things, um, mm -hmm. you know, be very careful with this. Uh, and then they they came back to me and said, well, how do I know if a, if a bee is sick? And so I just wanted to ask the experts while you're sitting here. <laughs> so thank you for humoring me. They all disappear. Let's see. Now they're sick. <laughs> ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> they're homesick. We need that. We need to get that tricorder technology going. Mm. We really need that stuff. I know. I know. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, until that arrives, um, we uh, we we desperately need this research. We we do need these answers. And so, how can people reach out to this project? How can people find out more information if maybe they have a B hotel or considering having one? Would like to donate a B hotel to to the research uh, study. What's as you have a web address to share with us? Oh yeah, so we have a quick link for it. Uh, it's I think it's go.illinois.edu/bhotel. I think that's the quick link for it. If not, what's going to happen is that my voice is going to cut out, and it's going to be Chris's voice in saying the actual link, and that that'll be in the show notes. I hope. Mm -hmm. and, and there'll be text right here. Uh, with the link, so yeah. that, is, that is the correct short link. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Ken. Thank you. And then on that website, I have some more uh, information on the things we talked about, and also there's a link to a um, a survey where you can uh, put your information if you do want to donate a B hotel, um, so that we can reach out to you and hopefully use your B hotel in our project. Well, this is exciting. I'm excited. Aren't you guys excited? Like, like diving into this stuff, ripping these bee hotels apart, like an <laughs> angry bear, like, ah, where's mm -hmm. the honey? You know, um, yeah, scientific discovery, I think, is amazing. So and mm -hmm. I see this directly benefiting um, people in Illinois who want to know if this is actually working. Mm hmm. Absolutely. And we're so I'm so excited, at least I Timo has so much work that they have to do. So they're probably maybe a, a little less excited than we are. But, you know, I'm just going to be sitting in my office. And then one day Timo's going to email me the results. And it's going to be a blast. I'm so much looking forward to it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think so much of my uh, master's degree right now has been so much uh, literature review. Uh, I'm excited to get to what I came here for is like looking at the little bees under the microscope and finding out what they are. <laughs> yeah, the actual the field work and looking at those bees under those microscopes. It's always fun. Mm -hmm. but, Timo, are you so with the expectation that you're going to publish? Um, so you're going to be working with a, a committee and everything through mm -hmm. this. And this will be your um, say your master's. Um, research project. So, mm -hmm. um, do you have a timeline? I'm just curious. Do you have a timeline when the that that published research is expected to be unveiled? And I know that's asking a lot, especially when you talk about research. But uh, got a timeline in mind? Um, I mean, I guess it's like it so depends on how many B hotels we're able to get, how much is in them, um, how long the uh, analysis will take but i guess in the idea that i have to have this published before i graduate hopefully in uh, a year and a half i'll have something to show for it um 
and I'm hoping to get at least all of the bees emerged um, by the end of the summer. So it's and a we'll try to have some early results, mm-hmm. you know, just, yeah. It, yeah. You know, it won't be recommendations, right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Timo and I will talk to each other and, and Timo will tell me what's going on with these bee hotels, what they're seeing as they're dissecting these and having them emerge. And we'll, we'll keep track of what we're seeing and say like, well, you know, the, these, this is what we're seeing in general over mm-hmm. here. And this is what we're seeing in general over here. Right. So we'll have some, early results to give folks they won't have to hold their breath mm-hmm. for for all that time yeah for the whatever the pub, the publication process mm. we'll have something we'll have uh something for people early <laughs> well that was a lot of great information about b hotels so listeners uh viewers uh, make sure that you head to go.illinois.edu slash b hotel find out more um and to learn how if you have a b hotel you can donate it to science well, the Good Growing Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. A special thank you, Brody, Timo. Thank you both so much for finding the nicest uh, uh, <laughs> studio that anyone has ever appeared on in this show before. Um, so thank you so much for finding the nicest. <laughs> you are by far and above the uh, 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 look you look the part so thank you (laughs) anything for you guys (laughs) (laughs) thank you for having us i appreciate the opportunity to uh, get my project out there um to all your listeners and a special thanks to ken johnson for hanging out with me as always every single week thanks ken yes thank you chris thank you brody and timo look forward to to seeing what comes of this and i think we should have done this in the beginning chris but we should give a shout out to the people that stopped us at the conference last week and said hi was, oh, we should. It was, it was nice to meet all of you at the yes. uh, from food to flowers, everything local conference. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, we know we know we know you exist. It's not just a bunch of bots listening to us. Yep. No, no, not just bots and my mother uh, <laughs> listening to us. But so yes, uh, thank you everyone for stopping us and saying hi at the conference last week. And uh, let's do this again next week. Oh, we shall do this again next week. Are you sick and tired of being stuck inside with your children like me? Well, we are going to have horticulture educator Brittany Haig come on, talk about winter activities you can do with your kids. Uh, Because yes, it has been cold. Yes, it hurts when you breathe outside. Um, So uh, we'll see if maybe there's some uh, horticulture related uh, activities we can keep ourselves busy with as we are, uh, uh, as we batten down the hatches, so to speak here in winter. Well, listeners, thank you for doing what you do best, and that is listening, or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching, and as always, keep on growing.